from Mesh AI. This is the Data and AI podcast, episode 11. In today's episode, we're going to cover AI regulation, but from two angles, legal and engineering. So with the introduction of the EU AI Act, there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty about what exactly it is, but I think more uncertainty about how to prepare for it. So hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll have a good understanding of both what it is and how to start preparing. And uh, for today's episode, I had the pleasure of introducing Tom Whitaker, who is a senior associate at Burgess Salmon and a leading voice on AI regulation. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hi, DBS. Great to be here. So maybe let's start, Tom. You've posted a lot of things recently, simplifying the, the complexities of regulation. Hopefully our listeners will have seen some of that. If not, they should check it out. But maybe let's start with a brief summary of, of where we are with, with AI regulation as a whole. And, uh, and how do we get here? Great question. Thank you, DBS. So to put it in a short sentence, AI regulations are on the horizon and they differ in different jurisdictions. So different approaches in the EU, UK, US and globally. But what you do see is all these different jurisdictions and different regulators all trying to grapple with the issue around AI regulation, how to try and harness the opportunities, but how to manage and potentially mitigate the risks that come with it. So the most significant piece is around the EU AI Act, a large, complex, significant piece of EU regulation that will apply across all the member states and cut across different sectors. We'll come on to that in a little bit. The UK taking a different approach, setting out uh, what's called the White Paper on AI Regulation Framework, uh, which sets out some core principles that different regulators need to consider. But the UK, in effect, saying existing regulators should consider existing regulations and what updates are needed. And then in the US, you see a real difference between the federal approach and different state approaches. So different states taking different approaches, but with a theme around the use of AI within insurance, within employment, within public sector. And then from the federal perspective, you've got a number of bills or executive orders trying to unlock the federal use of AI, and also a number of draft bills concerning transparency of foundation models. So what's really interesting from a business perspective is how you're going to navigate potentially a patchwork of, of ever-evolving uh, regulatory landscape around AI. Yeah, tough one. And trying to keep on top of all of those, probably even for yourself, Tom, is, is a tough job. What are some of the, the, the themes across those that have similarities? And, you know, I think there's a few, like the foundation model one you, you mentioned, I actually think that's a really positive step, doubling down on on a certain area, because obviously it's a core part of of where innovation has been going in the last couple of years. But what are some of those sort of common themes that are seen across most of, if not all of, of those different approaches you mentioned? So some of the common themes that you see is that there will be a particular focus on a particular use or a particular type of technology. So it's recognizing that not all AI is equal, not all AI use cases are equal. And so the risks won't always be the same across them. So instead, any legislation needs to be targeted on what the regulator or what the jurisdiction is really concerned about. So you do see that around, say, foundation models, which are seen as a very different type of AI beast, if you will, compared to other AI systems. And that you see particular themes around some issues, such as transparency, so both internally with the organization, but externally with the user or more broadly other stakeholders and the public. And then you see other things around appropriate explainability, making sure people understand what's going on within the system and how it produces the output. 
And then another theme is around accountability and governance, ensuring that humans are in the loop or on the loop. They know what's going on. They're able to make changes if needed. And ultimately, those who are exposed to risk and exposed to harm are able to get the accountability and the redress that's needed. Yeah, I think those. So in this episode, what I'd like to get onto is how do we prepare from an engineering standpoint and how do businesses look at this from a from an application standpoint? And I actually think that those three themes you mentioned there around, I think the first one was the specificity of the technology. We call it a novel AI risk or nuance around the approaches, um, the transparency. So how do they work? How can we help both the users and the developers understand how they're working? And then the governance piece and the accountability piece. And I think they're three key themes that hopefully throughout this episode we'll, we'll pick up on both from a business perspective and a technology perspective. So not an easy one to summarize, Tom. And I actually put you on the spot there because that wasn't one of our previously discussed questions. So awesome. Given the the EU AI Act is, I think, seen by many as as the furthest ahead or most well-defined and probably for most of our listeners who are based in, in EMEA, that the one that they're focused on, maybe we should start by kind of just digging into that a little bit more. So, so could you give us a, a high level overview of, of what the EUA Act is, Tom? Listeners are probably familiar with other EU regulation like GDPR around data protection. So the parallels aren't perfect. All organizations have data, not all organizations have AI but there's certainly some similarities to it. And it's maybe a useful way of thinking about it. So from the EU perspective, AI Act perspective, it's around having horizontal regulation, which means it cuts across different sectors and it cuts across uh, different member states. There's then a risk-based approach where certain AI systems are prohibited. Certain systems are considered high risk and subject to additional obligations. And then other AI systems are considered low risk or minimal risk. But then there are some cross-cutting issues and obligations or points which um, organisations are expected to consider around transparency and other general principles of safety, robustness, security and so on. And then there are specific principles depending on the type of technology around foundation models, general purpose AI. The difficult thing for many organisations will be to work out who are you? Are you a provider? Are you a deployer? Are you somebody else within the AI uh, life cycle and value chain. And when that uh, AI system changes over time, does your role change over time? You've then got to work out the type of AI system or systems that you are using, and therefore which ones are subject to which things. And then you've got to try and work out the risk rating so that you can then make the right call as to how the AI Act would apply, noting the risk that ultimately some of the regulatory bodies may take a different view and that they may then try to um, argue that actually your systems are high risk and you should be subject to high risk uh, AI obligations. But I just want to make a really key point right at the beginning is that it's building on existing laws across the EU and those existing laws like data protection or sector specific points like financial services or medicines, they continue to apply. And so organisations should be thinking about those in any event. Yeah, and I think those those stages, albeit difficult, Tom, are pretty separated which hopefully will help businesses to sort of focus on preparing for them in the right way so for example 
understanding who you are and and i think this doesn't apply just to a business but to the function or the group within that business and the role that they play so i think that's the, the, you know like you say the, the key point is are you a provider or, or such and that's like day one define that and then you can almost set what you need to consider from that point the system piece so for years we've been making considerations around what what algorithm do we choose to use based on its its predictive power its output type and indeed how we train it how we sort of manage it the ai system itself and the implications of the algorithm or indeed how that system is going to change over time is a tough one right now because there's so much change and we've we've seen that there was a great post this week from Matt Wood from AWS around the importance of that framework right so the, the models will change but this paradigm is here to stay so i think right now from our perspective and we'll get onto the principles of of engineering is making sure that you've got that framework but you understand what are your inputs what are your outputs and what's the bit that goes in the middle and how do you govern it and i think that final piece of where are you pointing the ai is almost i think where you should start from what's the application who are the users what's the industry how's it going to be used and what risk does that create for users and that will then define that uh, across those four levels of risk in the act how should you approach both the system the considerations in that system and then indeed you know your position um, and how you position that moving forwards quite complex but i do see those as kind of foundational building blocks and there's quite a nice picture that could accompany that voiceover which maybe we can post uh, alongside the podcast but um is that a fair interpretation tom from a so, so i'm approaching it more from a how do we apply versus how do we govern yes i think that's fair that I can imagine that there are many who are looking at the act or are looking at AI generally from a legal or engineering point of view and thinking, this is really complex. How do you get your head around it? How can I get, navigate through this? And is anybody able to help me with that? But what you can see is that whilst the different systems should be considered on a case-by-case basis in terms of who needs to be involved and the risks and the purpose, et cetera, when you look at the piece across the board, when organizations or individuals have multiple types of AI systems, there are those foundational points that you can always consider. So the the more that you can bring that consistency around the governance piece or potentially around the engineering side of things, well, I'll defer to you on that, the, the more you can bring consistency overall and take a holistic approach to it and hopefully gain some reassurance as to the approach you're taking. Yeah. So to summarize that last piece then, there are, Approaches that can be standardized frameworks, which give you consistency, but there are different applications by which that framework can be applied. And those are the parameters which may change and may need to be considered for every new application or indeed change to an existing system. Uh, And that could be the change of where it's pointed, but also the change of how it works under the hood. Yeah, I'd agree. You know, we hear the obvious areas like healthcare or, or, or mental health has been a really kind of key one for, for LLMs and this impact of hallucination, for example, and poor advice or harmful advice that can lead people down paths. We've also heard it around sort of financial services and the impact on investment advisory from a, from 
a surgeon or a, or a doctor standpoint, these are all very obvious uh, high risk applications. From your perspective, how much are you seeing consideration around the less obvious areas of level one to level four in terms of that that risk severity? But might be good to get your insights on how widely known is is the different applications and and the risk levels at at this moment in time and i guess a build on that is how can businesses get better at understanding where you know on that level they are or their their specific use case for ai is great question i think there's a real difference between the approach and the current ability for organizations depending on whether they're in a regulated sector or in their, they're in a less or non-regulated sector. So those in financial services or medicines will have a long history of working through conformity assessments, understanding difficult regulation, bringing the right people together, putting in the risk management and governance frameworks and all those sorts of things. So this is now another stage for them where they have to work out how the AI Act or any AI regulation or sector-specific updates would sit on top of that and how it's consistent or potentially inconsistent with what they're doing already. The interesting area that I've seen from conversations with clients and others is around the non or the less regulated markets. So, for example, home appliances, um, companies wanting to bring AI systems to your white goods, your ovens, your washing machines, making everyday life better, providing themselves with a a point of difference from a sort of competitive angle by having the latest tech um, and making users' experiences much better. And the difficulty for them is thinking, well, how do some of these principles translate into practice? What does transparency look like? Where are the security concerns around data protection? Is there a risk that you can infer something sensitive from somebody's cooking or washing habits or whatever it may be? And there's a real difficulty, I think, for people to think, what could go wrong? What are the risks like? And I'm not suggesting that anybody has perfect foresight around what the impacts would be or what the risks would be but trying to test and um, anticipate some of those issues is a real challenge for them so in terms of what organizations can be doing around there one is look at where your strengths are at the moment what are your experiences what are your frameworks what are your policies like and then you can use that as a foundation the second thing is start and think about well what ai systems do we have or are we looking to deploy or procure, and then thinking about how those may interact with different legislation and the the risks. Um, And then thirdly, it's around that real analysis and thought and testing to try and work through what those risks are and work through the engineering issues and work through the legal implications as well, so that you can, not perfectly, because nobody's expecting perfection, but you can really robustly and comprehensively Uh, try to understand what your legal and operational and engineering risks are as well. Yeah, I think understanding each of those for me is the fun bit um, because then it comes to how do you solve for them? And and at at this point in time, I think we are all in a preparation phase. Um, So maybe we'll we'll unpick some of that preparation, uh, especially from an engineering standpoint later on in in the episode, Tom. While we're on the theme of of the act itself, the identification of of the category, the understanding of of where you know you may have considerations, might be worth now talking about how it is going to be implemented. 
those levels of of, of control uh, and where we are, you know, in, in that stage of things, Tom, because I think that might help to set the tone of how quickly do we need to, to be ready for this and in what format. So, yeah, and then maybe we can talk about the, the foundational preparation stages from, from an engineering standpoint. So under the Act, there's a series of transition periods once the Act is formally adopted and published, which is expected imminently in early 2024. And from those transition periods, there are different ones depending on what the risk profile is or what the part of the Act is. Generally speaking, if you're looking at general purpose AI, then the obligations begin after 12 months after the EU AI Act is adopted. High-risk AI systems, 24 months away. And for AI systems, which are a safety component of regulated products, it's 36 months away. So for some people, that may sound like a long time. But I think many will then remember their GDPR experiences and think about how long it took to prepare and to really get to grips with what the regulation required to have that assurance that they were compliant. And I think maybe with AI systems, it's possibly even more pressing because AI systems are often a fundamental part of your internal decision-making process or part of your business model and some of the products and services that you're offering. So any changes to those could fundamentally change how you're doing business and what you're hoping to do in the short, medium and long term as well. So I've certainly seen a lot from clients and from others speaking, I've been speaking with in the market about wanting to understand how urgently do they need to get to grips with this? How do you get to grips with it? Who needs to be involved? From my perspective, although you can probably guess that I'm slightly biased as a lawyer, I would say start thinking about it now. Start preparing and then going through some of those structural, consistent points that you've been talking about of working out what AI systems do you have, could you have, working out potential risks, working out how the regulation may affect you depending on who you are, where you're operating, where you're selling, and then ultimately how it's implemented. Well, many organisations will have their experiences to draw upon around GDPR, around risk management, governance frameworks. So you're probably already in a decent position. What you then need to start doing is working out how the AI Act will apply to you. There's those consistent points, but ultimately it's context and uh, use case specific. So you've really got to get to grips with how it applies to you. Um, And as I say, start to give it thought now. I think the GDPR one is a really great example for us to all reflect on. And I remember the perceived complexities around uh, actually implementing the preparations and indeed the the now requirements around GDPR. I think where we are from an AI standpoint, that the level of of complexity is just it's doubled, tripled. I mean, it's it's unimaginable. And I think the reason is because it it's moving under our feet, especially when you get to the detailed you know types of models, for example, and the capabilities that we're seeing you know on a near day, daily basis of change. So come, coming back to what you said earlier on, it's about the the framework, I think, and and making sure that how it will apply to you is almost like how it will apply to the algorithm as well and kind of they come hand in hand and the choice and selection of approach has to be a lot more considered you know with data and gdpr i think it was it was more about the the way in which it was governed 
and and where it was pointed that the how was was limited and well known across where would you use data the complexity of ai is that the how piece is we all know generative right it's predictable and uncontrollable in many in many instances so the how becomes way more uh, complex could i put you on the spot then please and that's in short what trade-offs there are when you're choosing different AI models, in particular, my understanding is there can be a trade-off between the predictability and the accuracy and the precision of an AI system against the explainability and potentially some of the transparency of an AI system. And so what an organization is faced with is saying, well, my obligations to be really transparent may mean that I have a less predictive AI system but that could result in me providing slightly, I wouldn't say worse outputs, but I would say not the high level of outputs you could otherwise have. And so you've got to think about, well, do I need to tweak my overall decision-making process or the product that it's implemented with? Well, on the other hand, do you go for a much higher predictive AI system, but with lower transparency, and then work out if there are other ways of trying to uh, deliver the transparency and explainability you need. And so that's a bit convoluted, but is that fair that you do have those trade-offs which can cause those really difficult decisions where you've got to take a, a measured approach? 100%, yeah. I think, especially with generative AI though, that has changed. Let me explain that. So w we saw it, I don't know how many years ago, well, it was quite a few years ago now, especially in financial services the need for explainability in, in predictions. And I'll take a very simple approach, like regression, for example, where you have a defined uh, thing you're trying to predict, and let's say it's a rate of some sort on a daily basis. With uh, regression, it's a well-defined equation, essentially, with input variables and then coefficients, which tell you how predictive those variables are in in predicting your outcome, which could be you know a rate, or a daily spend, or you know, whatever it is. So when you make your predictions and you train your model, you can say right. For example, the age of a person has this much impact on predicting our outcome, right, or our rate. Uh, in this example, you can extract the explainability pretty easily. Take neural networks, for example, and we saw uh, artificial neural networks come into the fold you know, in, in the last decade um, as being scalable, you throw the same problem into an artificial neural network and you can't pinpoint a, a variable in that same way. You can't say age has this impact and you know location has this impact because the way in which it's fed into a, a neural network is way more complicated. There are methods to try and extract that explainability, but they're, they're hard and less clear cut. So especially in financial services, there were decisions that were made to, to take regression, for example, over neural networks when you can get more, more, more scale, you can throw more compute at the problem and ultimately get more accuracy, precision and recall in those uh, predictions. Now, that was 10 years ago where the outcome was the same. So we're predicting one number, you know, a well-defined thing we're trying to predict. In today's world with generative AI, it's shifted because... The decision is not around explainability, but the decision is around controllability. So for generative models, you can't control the outputs. They are generative in nature. 
So you can't say, right, give me a continuous number between one and a hundred. It's not that type of algorithm. It's trained on tokens. And in, in most cases, it's text for LLMs or pixels for, for images. And the bounds based on what you've trained on. So if we train a, an LLM on every letter and every word in, in the English language, that that's the boundary of the output. So in that sense, it's the controllability which has shifted the output. So we've got this decision now in terms of how much we want to control. And, and, and you may have seen the post that I put out this week around a generative AI lifecycle and the ways in which you can try and safeguard those outputs. So for example, a generative model could produce something and then you can check has it produced something in the bounds of what I find acceptable? Has it contained any things I don't want it to contain? I'm not going to show the output, but you can't control it in that same way. And again, the, the sophistication in this, in this case, these LLMs are the most sophisticated models we've really seen. And then you bring multimodal into that where you're not just looking at text, but maybe image and, and video and audio. So again, the complexity trade-off is there, but I think that it's a less clear-cut decision, um, which makes it a much harder problem. And, and the way I view it is that you can still rely on traditional machine learning, well-defined algorithms and use, you know, these kind of uncontrollable to provide context and color, but you're, you know, still dependent on trustworthy, explainable predictions. And in a similar sense, you can link predictions to actual content. So a lot of the, the generative models actually now provide links to the real content where they, you know, if they're answering a question or they're summarizing, you know, a point, they'll refer to the um, document of which they found that point. Um, and that's applying kind of a vector search or, or a downstream um, connection to real data that's been created by a human and, and we trust and believe, but we've added that on to the end. So for me, it's not a selection of one algorithm, but now it's a selection of multiple. How do we stack them? And based on where we have transparency, where we have controllability and what we need to be able to say, back to your point about the system and what we're doing and how we need to provide that level of risk assurance. And that's where we make those decisions about, does it have to point to a real piece of data? Does it have to be bounded within you know, a numerical range? And, and do we have to be able to say, this was the variable that impacted my prediction? And that there, that's the, the now landscape of choice, which makes the, you know, one component of, of, of the AI selection process, uh, a bit more difficult, you know, to your point about understanding how things work, as long as you understand how they work and how you piece these things together, I think we can prepare for regulation in the right way. Long answer to your short question there, Tom, but uh, hopefully I, th I think it's probably one that the listeners will also have on their minds because we've, we've heard it, you know, spoken about many times and it is a trade-off, uh, but it's a trade-off that, that you have to make and a decision you have to make. I'm going to turn it back on you now, Tom, because we've, we've gone deep on, on the AI piece. You mentioned earlier on in your intro around some of, some of the, the new regulation movements have relied more on existing regulation than others. One thing that we hear a lot from clients is what already exists today and how much do I really need to change? So, for example, within a risk and compliance function, 
of a of a highly regulated business they've already got lots and lots of of well uh, defined uh, governance processes and people that are responsible for for governing risk and, and managing and controlling risk in a business how much of of especially around the EI, EU AI act how much of what exists today should businesses be considering and and really what is that balance between new regulation and existing regulation i agree with you it's a tricky balance for businesses to think about because you're trying to balance your business as usual legal and risk compliance whilst also preparing for the future in terms of where you want to take your business you want to take your products and services and indeed how your market is changing around you and so regulators have really pointed out existing laws do apply right now if you are procuring ai if you are developing ai if you're deploying ai there are existing laws which do affect you and so you need to make sure that you're across how they affect you and that you're compliant with them now the issue with ai is that as a novel technology or maybe not novel but emerging technology and emerging use case where many businesses are getting more to grips with it that there's a risk that how they use the ai and what ai systems they use makes it quite hard to work out how the existing legislation applies and there may well be some gaps and inconsistencies and the uk approach to ai regulation recognizes that there may be such gaps and inconsistencies which is why regulators are giving thought to what changes are needed and you see some real activity from some of the key regulators and um, to say how the existing regulation fits and balances with the emerging technology and use cases so information commissioners offices published loads of great content around how uh, data protection laws fit with ai systems they include a really useful eight point series of considerations for using generative ai and some of the data protection points and then there are other regulators like financial services and within medicines where they've been doing that as well what i would say to businesses who are considering this is that this shouldn't prevent you from innovating it shouldn't prevent you from exploring take those frameworks take the experience and take people that you already have and have experience with and start to scope out what those opportunities are and start to work through what some of those pieces of legislation or those pieces of laws may be and how they may apply and actually what i have seen from clients and others in the market is sometimes there's an opportunity here there's a big concern about how ai systems are trained on copyright material and whether the holders of that copyright are fairly compensated and indeed whether their material has been used with permission but what you see from some in the market is they're actually saying well we can guarantee or warrant that uh, the ai system has only been trained on copyright material that's been permitted and if there is going to be any claim against someone who is using that system so the organizations and people listening to this uh, then they will indemnify them against that now you've then got to get a lawyer to work out how that indemnification um, looks like and how it work in practice and where it may not apply but still that's showing that those companies who are saying we have that confidence in our ai system and how we do it and um, they are using the legal issues and the legal concerns as that opportunity to try and have a presence in the market and get customers so there is both risk and opportunity here 
And it's just a, one of those many things where organisations continue to have to balance between them. But there's no steadfast rule for how they do that. Yeah, I, th- I think actually, to me, there's a, a large point there around collaboration and education. And the same thing exists on the technical side, where you've got kind of the different areas of legislation and how they should come together. You've also got a need for understanding what AI is and how within the context of the legislation, how the different systems and how they work will impact that. So what what we've seen is working with risk and compliance functions who really want to prepare, need to understand what AI is. And and I think the, the baseline it's pretty low at the moment. It's a, it's a hard thing. Not many people really understand it. But most AI developers don't really understand risk and compliance. So you've got kind of like the multi-legislation landscape, but you've also got the multifunctional landscape where, you know, you've got folks that are well-versed in preparing for risk. And then you've got folks that are well-versed in building systems. And you can only prepare, in my view, and it will hopefully be outlined in the approach breakdown that we go through in a moment you can only prepare if those two areas work together and they both understand each other so those that are developing ai systems have to understand how risk and governance is implemented and those that are within those functions need to understand how the ai systems work and how that fits with the governance they already have so you know, we've worked with a number of clients in the financial services sector and the insurance sector who have large, large uh, compliance functions. Most of what they have in place could be applied to AI, but helping them understand what is not novel. And I, I think you're right. Novel is maybe not the right word, but what is different when you apply AI to it? So scale, I think, is one of the big areas where so for example, an AI system can, can compare billions of combinations. A human can compare hundreds. So that the scale of, of, of reach and then the, the information that they can use or gain access to to make decisions is very, very different. So although the output and the decision making process may be similar, the, the scale and then, you know, what the system brings in versus what the person brings in it is different. So governing that and un- understanding risk in that is is really important to prepare you know those safeguards in in a different way than than if you were to do it for for a human um and i think it comes back to to one of your earlier points of the three things accountability you know humans have accountability in different ways to systems so how can you bake in those le- levels of, of accountability and again it comes back to the framework how do you implement ai systems in a way where you know you're going to get asked to make sure those systems are accountable for the decisions they make. And it comes back to the question you asked me a moment ago, what's the explainability and how do you bake that into your framework and and your system? And I think something that's fascinating from this conversation is you have the legal perspective, you have the engineering perspective. I'm sure within organisations, you've got those from the product perspective or um, customer relations or from finance. And by bringing all of these very valid perspectives on this you can have a much better conversation to understand what you're doing why you're doing it where the risks are and how you can go and manage them and just picking up on your points around scale let's just maybe think about why regulators and legislators are thinking about ai regulation that 
there's an element of new technologies, new use cases really grown over the last few years. And so there's something that looks like they need to deal with. But the underlying things of why they're thinking of dealing with it, one is scale. You can have a great scale of potential risk and impact. So imagine the number of chatbots that could be used. Imagine the number of decisions that could be made in financial services or public sector, wherever it is. Ultimately, the AI system and that decision making can affect so many more people. Another one is about the adaptability of the system. So that goes back to your point around the level of control that you have over a system and um, whether actually you choose a version where you have less control and therefore the system is more adaptable based on the data that goes in or the context to which it's responding. And consequently, your ability to foresee some of the risks and some of the harms that could be caused. And then third about the, uh, the autonomy of such systems, again, going to control of do you have control of the various different stages uh, behind an AI system before ultimately an AI output is unleashed into the world? And so those three things of scale, adaptability, autonomy affecting regulators, I expect to affect in businesses as well. Those are some of the drivers and the issues about why they want to think about, is there anything that they need to do differently for their AI systems that they have or that they're looking to have? Yeah, and in some ways, scale, adaptability and autonomy are the key reasons for adopting AI systems in the first place. But I, yeah, I guess to, to your point, figuring out how you then govern that and what those risks are associated to it is, is really key. And, you know, it all comes back down to a decision-making framework. So it might be a good time for me to run through our perspective on what the engineering approach should be and how that helps to maybe combat some of the things you've talked about as as key areas of consideration. So there's kind of four stages that the way we see it. So the first is around sort of strategic adjustments. And this is around how you operate your business, how you plan your applications, and how you kind of build the right functions and, and operating models to successfully develop in a safe way. The second is around the data. I specifically pull this out and I know we've got GDPR, the way, in, like you mentioned it a moment ago around the permission side of data, the way in which data is applied and the way in which it's governed and the type of data and what that data means is incredibly important to these systems. In fact, my view is that we will reach a point of sort of a model democracy where it will solely be about the data. And, and for me, generative AI especially has reinvigorated this idea that the power is in the data and not necessarily the system. Obviously, you can configure the system in different ways. But so those foundations of data, I think, are hugely important. But we 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 put that under the, the bracket of input. And input is not just the data that you have today, but it's the data that you collect. So that's what the user feeds into the system, what you collect to push into that system, and in general, all forms of input to the system. And that's a huge consideration, especially when we think about the risk. And, and that maybe links a, a bit more to the product side of things, which is understand your application and understand your users, especially in, in the world of Gen AI. It's, it's, a, it's a, an accessible and interactive form as opposed to what we previously saw, it's more of an operational, predictive, hooked up to a, a trigger as opposed to an interactive, which is the expectation with our systems that we're deploying today. 
The third is platform. So the way in which you deploy your systems, the way in which you kind of wrap that level of technical governance um, of those systems, and generally how you create that scale that we've been talking about, but how you do it in, in a way that is uh, safe. And then the fourth is the output. And I say output, but what I mean by output is essentially the model layer. So the AI itself, how those uh, predictions are being made, how those outputs are being formed. And that comes into, you know, what we previously knew as MLOps. Um, nowadays, we hear things like LLMOps or more generally generative AI orchestration. But essentially, it's the development and the deployment of AI algorithms. And again, to, to the point I made earlier, it's not just one. It's how these things stack. It's the explainability layer. It's the monitoring layer. And indeed, that then links back into the product lifecycle of collecting back the usage, monitoring that usage. And I think that's a really key point. And it comes back to all of this fits on, on one page, right? And it's a framework, which is nicely drawn out. But it's it's a framework that has inputs, outputs, and then implications. And those implications are then tracked through those four stages of approach, which is the strategic input, platform, and output. And, and I think once you have that framework, the components of that framework can change, but the way in which you govern it, the way in which you develop it, and the way in which you deploy it is standard in terms of the principles and, and the, the engineering approaches that you would use to do that. I think that sounds great. And I imagine that for many listening, that's the sort of thing that they're after so that they have reassurance about the approach being taken and that they have a degree of understanding of the approach being taken as well. So that whether they are the ones who are then in the detail of all of that, or whether they're the ones who hold the budget and have governance and then they want to oversee it, that they know that, that is, there is that holistic, structured, consistent approach which can flex as needed depending on what you're doing. And I think that from a legal perspective, you have similar uh, structured frameworks that you can have. There's working out the facts of what, where, when, how, who, and why in terms of what system are you using? Where are you using it? How are you using it? Who's involved? And then ultimately why you're using it. And then from that, you can start to map some of the legal obligations. Some of them you'd always expect around data protection. Some of them may be sector specific around regulated sectors. And then some of them may be more specific to the type of organization or what you're using it for, like equalities or human rights legislation. And then there may be some other points which are underlying all of this around contract and making sure that what your your contracts with the either the end users, terms of use, terms of license, etc., or indeed your contracts with third party suppliers, that they are all as you need them to be to reflect the structure, the AI lifecycle that we've been talking about. I agree. The more that we can have those sorts of standard frameworks, I think the more people will be able to ultimately harness the opportunities from AI, but also try to manage those risks. Yeah, and I, I think that comes back to that the first piece I mentioned, Tom, around approach. And I, you know, we kind of talked about it when we, we talked about risk functions and the different legislation areas that exist and the different groups within the business who will know and understand those things. But it, it I think it comes down to op model and, and people and responsibilities. And now more than ever, having an understanding of the legal implications and how you can um, mitigate those risks. And, and contract is a really 
an interesting word here because we often refer to data contracts. It's a very well-known kind of foundation to how we govern data. It applies so well in this case to how we prepare for legislation from an AI standpoint. So the more that we can start to get the folks like yourself, actually, um, and the right teams from from risk and compliance and, and the governance within businesses to actively input into what that framework should be for an organization. And then layering on the application layer, which is about the usage and, and the users. And th those kind of three things come together to make sure you are well prepared from a technology standpoint, from a legal standpoint, and from an application standpoint, which to most business will be the product that they create, the service that they provide, or the services and products that their functions, because obviously most businesses are multifaceted um, and there will be nuances as to how, you know, those components of the framework and those contracts you mentioned will have to change based on ultimately the application, which comes back to the risk levels, which comes back to legislation. And if I may, I'll just add the legal layer on there, which is under the AI Act, in some circumstances, you are required to have those contracts with third parties um, setting out specific issues as well. And that's part of the EU trying to ensure that the right responsibilities are in the right places and that not everything is being pushed down to one part of the AI value chain, which may not then properly allow for accountability and redress given the complexity of that value chain as well. And if I may, just one bit as well to the three points you were saying, adding on that human there, the, the people there, the right people involved, getting their views and ultimately getting their engagement with this so that they can manage it. Given we've talked about AI and the final point is let's build it around people and we are ultimately responsible for controlling these systems and I think relying on the experience and knowledge of different groups to do that is the only way that we are going to succeed in implementing a, a safe future for, for AI. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on, Tom. Hopefully that's been an enjoyable conversation for yourself and for our listeners. Hopefully it's been a, a sneak into the, the world of how do you prepare for AI regulation into the future. We'll be releasing some, some follow-up blogs, hopefully to condense and visualize some of the content we've talked about today. Um, and we'll share some links to some of the great content you've been producing over the last couple of months as well, Tom. So thanks again for, for being on the show and we'll speak to you again soon. And that's it. Thanks, DBS. And thanks to all of those at Mesh.